listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. So we started the series we entitled Synced two weeks ago. And then I went to lunch with Adam and Melissa Gibson. They are missionaries from Portugal. They were here last week. And we were sitting there eating, and I said, uh, so you guys are going to be with us on the 9th, right? And he went, no, I'm going to be there this week is what you told me. And I went, I probably did tell you that. And uh, I just didn't write it down on my, my calendar. I had it in my mind, but nothing stays there. So since I didn't write it down, so we had Adam and Melissa. And I just want to tell you, Thank you so much for the generosity that you displayed toward this family. We, we raised in just a surprise, hey, let's take up an offering for them. You guys gave $1,100 last week to, uh, to help the Gibsons in what they're planning to do both here in the States and once they get back to Portugal. And so I just really appreciate everybody being willing. Some of you took advantage of the IOU and you came through on that. And just thank you so much for your generosity and for recognizing that what they're doing there in Portugal is they're just doing what we do here in places that we're not. We do missions in two different ways. We want to support folks who are doing what we do where we're not. And we want to support folks who are doing what we're not doing where we are. And uh, so that's why we have both local and global missions. I hope probably not this summer, but maybe next summer we'll be planning maybe to go to Portugal and help them. They will be back and they will be uh, reestablished after their furlough at this time. And they'll have the new ministry up and going and maybe we can go and be a blessing to them in the summer of 2020. So just kind of let that germinate in your heart and mind. And if God tells you that you're going to Portugal, then uh, just write it down because everyone who said they were going to the DR went to the DR because God is faithful and he provided and he'll do the same for you. If you got your Bibles, let's turn to Philippians. Philippians chapter number one, we're going to spend the next four weeks looking at four verses. And you say, that sounds about right for you. And uh, so we're going to break those four verses apart, kind of take a little bit out of the book of Philippians. This is a passage that just I came across. I don't know if I was doing some study for something else or if it was just a devotional reading, but I just remember coming across this passage and writing it down thinking, oh, we got to explore this. We, we, we've got to, to get our minds wrapped around it. And in fact, when I had an opportunity at the beginning of the summer to go visit my aunt and uncle who live in Snook, Texas. Uh, Snook, Texas is a place you would never find unless you were looking for it. It's about 15 minutes outside of College Station where the Texas or Texas A&M is located and there's nothing else for like a thousand miles out of where Texas A&M is located. So Snook is just kind of nestled there. Little bitty church, but they're a, a church of, of great people. Little bitty community, but they're great people. And I had an opportunity to go out there and preach a revival for them, which that was the first First of that type that I've ever done. Go out somewhere and preach multiple sermons during the week. And that was different for me. I grew up in that, having it every fall. I believe we had our fall revivals. And I remember it. I just hadn't done it until this past summer. And I utilized this passage to just encourage them. Because what we're going to find right here is a nutshell, if you will, of those things that God has called us to be synced to his heart. Because of who we are in Christ, having trusted Jesus by faith, 
Through his death and resurrection, we've been brought from darkness into light. We've been born and adopted into the family of God. And then he calls us to a life lived in that family because of that family. And these four things are going to be like these big umbrellas that he's calling us as a family to consider because if we're not synced to him, then we will be like, I used a couple of weeks ago, I didn't bring it with me this morning, but I brought a, a, a portable keyboard that can, through the Bluetooth apparatus technology, can sync to my computer. And if I don't have that, that keyboard synced to the computer, it's a good keyboard, it's functional, but it's not accomplishing what it was made for. Even though there's a battery in it and I push the power button, the little green light comes on, unless it is synced to the computer, it's not accomplishing what it was designed for. And, and what we do as a body is we come together and we encourage one another week in and week out to be about the business of God that he's called us to. But if we're not in sync with him, then we are a, a piece of equipment that's not functioning as we're designed. So in these four verses, we're going to find four things that we need to be synced together with the heart of God. And when we do, we will find ourselves in sync with each other. Again, I used the illustration two weeks ago of my uh, portable keyboard and my portable mouse pad. And when both of those are synced to the computer, they're working together. Apart from being synced to the computer, they're not. And it doesn't matter how much I lay that mouse pad on top of the keyboard or I put the keyboard on top of the mouse pad or I try to make them kiss and make, it doesn't, they're not doing anything unless they're synced to the computer and then they work together. So if we can get our minds and hearts around these four things as we begin a brand new school year, and we can, we can determine that we want to be synced with the heart of God on these things. We will find ourselves synced together. And I hope that will be what we will find over these next four weeks. To kind of give you a little bit of background out of Philippians, I, I think I preached through the book of Philippians. I called it Fan the Flame. And I preached through the book of Philippians, I think it was probably four or five years ago that we went through the whole book. And so I, I shared a lot of background, and I don't intend to, to just inundate you with background information, but I think it's important that you kind of understand the context of why Paul was writing to this church in Philippi. This was the first church that Paul established in Europe. In Acts chapter number 16, Paul had a vision of someone from Macedonia, which is that area of, of what we would call modern-day Greece, he was, he was in Asia Minor and he had this vision of a man in Macedonia saying, come and tell us about Jesus. This is Acts chapter number 16. And Paul got up from that vision, from that dream, and he felt very compelled that God was leading them across the waters into Europe in order to take the gospel. His plans were, were, were in Asia Minor wanting to go up and around, but, but he had that vision and so he went across. And Philippi was one of the first cities in which Paul established 
a church. And, and uh, Paul ran into some resistance in the city of Philippi. Y'all will remember a story about Paul and his traveling companion by the name of Silas. And they kind of got into a little trouble with the uh, city officials because as they were preaching, there was a, a demon-possessed girl that these, these gentlemen were using to benefit themselves for like fortune-telling and, and, and things of that nature. And she kept mocking Paul and Silas as they preached. And Paul turned around and told that evil spirit to get out of her. Well, as soon as that evil spirit was gone from her because it had to obey because, because Paul was led by, by Christ to, to exercise that demon, it had to go away. Well, once that little girl did not have the influence of that demon, she was no longer profitable to those fellows who were using her. And they stirred up a riot and they had Paul and Silas thrown in prison. In fact, they were put in shackles in the bottom level of the prison in Philippi. And y'all remember what happened about mid night as Paul and Silas began to pray and sing all of a sudden the ground began to shake and the prison doors began to fall off and the next thing you know all of those prisoners were looking at open doors and freedom and that jailer thought he was in a whole lot of trouble was about to kill himself because he knew he was responsible for these prisoners that were going to be free and Paul said don't harm yourself we're all here. You remember what that jailer said to him? He said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, let's go to your house. You fix me up some supper. I'll tell you all about it. That's what happened in Philippi. Well, once day broke and the city officials discovered what had happened, and then they discovered that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens and never had trial, Philippi said, get out, please go away. So Philippi was already kind of hostile to the gospel. So wouldn't you imagine that those that trusted Jesus as Savior in this city were facing some persecution? Answer to that question is yes. But in the face of that persecution, those faithful believers just dug in and bought in to the fact that the gospel was theirs as a family to partner with. And we discover, Paul says, that that church in Philippi not only remained faithful where they were, but they sent gifts of money to Paul in partnership with his missionary journey. So what you guys did last week for the Gibsons as they go to do missions in Portugal, the church in Philippi did for Paul as he continued to go spread the gospel through Europe. So Paul is writing back to the church of Philippi to encourage them. There was another reason Paul needed to write to the church in Philippi at this time, and that is because during the course of events, now Paul finds himself in Rome in prison himself. And so he's writing to these churches that have been so faithful to him, these churches that he planted and that he's been fathering, if you will, mentoring these churches. He's writing to them to encourage them while he's in prison because no doubt people begin to think, well, persecution came to Paul. Persecution's probably going to come to me. So Paul is writing them a letter to encourage them to catch them up on what's going on in his life and to also thank them for their partnership in the ministry. 
So when you read the book of Philippians, you'll discover that this is a guy who just loves those folks there in Philippi. And he's so excited about who they are and what they're doing. And he just wants to be continuously involved in their life by encouragement, instruction, and encouraging that they just continue to fan that flame. So that's probably why I called it five years ago, Fan the Flame. What we're going to find here in Philippians chapter number one, beginning in verse 27, if you have your Bibles, you want to turn. If you've got your smartphone, your, your, uh, your tablet, then go to version under more and then events, and you'll be able to follow along. What we find here is that Paul is making this statement. Listen, I have every expectation of getting out of prison. I'm so excited about what's going on in the church there in Philippi, and I have every reason to think that through your prayers and the prayers of others that I'm going to be released from prison. But, but this I definitely know. Whether I'm released or I'm killed, I want to glorify God in my body. And you know what? When it comes to being released and being with you or being killed and being with Christ, I just got to tell you, I think I might would rather be with Christ, but I know I would be beneficial to you if they let me out and I can continue to, to lead and to help and instruct. So I expect to get out of prison, but if I don't, if, if I don't ever see you again, here's what he says, verse number 27 of Philippians chapter 1. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, that's a nice way of saying if I never get to come back. Why wouldn't you get to come back, Paul? Because they would rather have my head on the outside of my body, away from my body than on it, and I might not see you again. I might hear, might hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. We're going to unpack from the beginning to the first comma. If I come, if I am absent, I want to hear that your manner of life is worthy of the gospel of Christ. If our hearts are going to be synced with God's heart, and if we're synced with God's heart, then we're going to be synced with one another. Then we've got to purpose to live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now let's break that particular thing in half. When he says, only let your manner of life, that is a, a, a little phrase based on a couple of words that could, that could literally be translated, live as a citizen. Live as, let your manner of life live as a citizen of. Now you say, well, why would he have said that? Citizenship was extremely important to the people in Philippi. Philippi was hundreds of miles away from Rome proper. Rome occupied almost all of the known world at this time. 
but only those who lived in Rome itself, in the, in the regions of proper Rome, were considered Roman citizens. Now, for a Roman citizen, you had, you had guarantees, kind of like we do as American citizens. They can't just bring us and put us in jail just because they want to. Well, we have uh, the right to trial, and it ha- we have the right to a speedy trial. We have, certain, we have certain procedures that even the authorities have to utilize in order for, for their treatment of us to be just. Well, it was that way in Rome. If you were a Roman citizen, you were guaranteed certain rights. You also didn't have to pay certain taxes. You see, what Rome did is they went around and they just conquered other nations, and they indentured them into service. And then they would charge those guys overwhelming taxes so that they themselves as Roman citizens wouldn't have to pay so many taxes. So if you were, uh, if you were in Roman occupied country and you were a citizen of that particular nation, your tax were, burdens were intense, great, very much. But if you were a Roman citizen, while you might have had to pay taxes, you didn't have nearly the financial burden of those that weren't. Citizenship in Rome was important. You wanted to be a citizen of Rome. Well, Philippi in itself was not a city that was under Roman proper. It was more in Macedonia. But in a time of of great unrest in the Roman Empire, there was a battle that happened between four folks. There was the, the, the Roman... Uh, the, the Roman side of the battle, Rome proper, under the leadership of two individuals by the name of Antony, Mark Antony, and, uh, 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 well, I forgot his name, I had it right there, Octa- uh, not Octavian. Antony and Octavian, yeah. They were Rome proper. And they were in civil war, if you will, against another side of Roman folks led by two other gentlemen by the name of Brutus, And Cassius, those of you who are history buffs will know that Brutus was the one who murdered who? Julius Caesar. So there was a coup type of thing going on in Rome between Mark Antony and Octavian representing the the Republic of Rome and Brutus and Cassius representing those of the Senate that wanted to be away from Julius Caesar and his way of doing things. So they got together, split Rome in half, if you will, and went to battle. Philippi was a very important sea city, a seaport, if you will. And this battle at Philippi is where Antony and Octavian finally got the better of Brutus and Cassius. And the people of Philippi supported Antony and Octavian. So as a means of reward to this city for being so faithful to the empire, for being so faithful to, the, to, to Rome proper, they were granted as a city Roman citizenship which was unheard of in that region for hundreds of miles around. So Philippi had the the distinction of being a Roman city with Roman citizenships with all the rights of Romans and all the privileges of Rome. So when Paul tells them, I'm in prison, and don't forget, Paul is a Roman citizen, 
And he's in prison for what, class? Preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. When Paul says, act as a citizen, that's not how we translate it. We say, act in a manner. Act like this. He's saying, let your citizenship reflect. And that citizenship idea would have ratcheted in their mind of, oh, wait a minute. You're talking about something that we are very proud of. Can I ask you, is anyone in the room today sick of being an American? I would venture to say you might be sick of what you hear on the news. You might be sick of what it looks like to the rest of the world that's going on in America and all this infighting and fussing and bickering and gouging and scratching and You might be sick of that, but I don't see anybody lined up at the courthouse to renounce their citizenship because you know there's not much better outside of America. So we get what the Philippian peoples got. It's good to be a Roman citizen. It's good to be an American citizen. Paul says, let your citizenship reflect not who you are in Rome, but who you are in Christ. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 20, he's going to take that and remind them very specifically when he says, but our citizenship is in where? Heaven. Yes, it is great to be born in America. Yes, it was great to be born in Philippi. There were earthly benefits to being a Roman citizen, but Paul makes it very clear. Our citizenship, our allegiance is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, our sovereign was crucified on a hill outside of Jerusalem to make it possible for us to move from enemy status to part of the family of God. And since we've been born into the family of God, well, guess what we get? We get his citizenship. We get a connection with him by birth, by adoption. So now our citizenship is with him. And can I just tell you, just in case you didn't know, God ain't American. Y'all know that, right? He doesn't, y'all know he don't make no pledges and sing no anthems, right? You get that? God is God. And we're citizens of his family. And Paul says, don't forget that. You know why he says don't forget that? Because sometimes we can let our worldly benefits cloud our eternal reality. And we can get so caught up in what's going on down here that we forget that this ain't our fight. We may be a part of the arena and certainly we want to represent Christ in every opportunity we have, but this ain't it. Our citizenship is with him. So he says, now, whether I get there to see you again or whether I never, I want to hear that your citizenship is reflective of heaven. And he goes on a little farther when he says, let your, let your citizenship live like a citizen worthy of the gospel 
of Jesus Christ. When we see that word worthy, we got to be real careful because in, in our citizenship, we have rights, we have expectations, and sometimes that can actually get stated, well, I deserve to, like, I have a right to this. Hey, I deserve that. That's, that's coming to me. That's, that's extended to me because of who I am. We got to be real careful. We don't let that being worthy extend over into what brought us from death into life. What brought us from darkness into light? Cause it didn't have nothing to do with worth. When it came to us, you know what we deserved? You know what we were worth as sinners? We were worth destruction. We deserved the separation that was in place. That was what we deserved because of our sin as it, as it extends to God's holiness. He can't have connection with sin because of his holiness. But through his love, mercy, and grace, he extended an opportunity for us, a means by which we could be brought from our sinful condition into a righteousness that was not ours. It was Christ's righteousness that was extended to us. As he put on our sin, we get his righteousness when by faith we trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus who died in our place and for our sin and rose in victory to demonstrate that sacrifice was received. We weren't worth saving. Only God decided to see us with value. And aren't you glad he did? He looked at us worthless and by his own choosing, he showed compassion and love and forgiveness through Jesus. He says, now I want you to live your life. I want to hear, I want to get word that you folks are synced with God. Yes, you are connected to him by the gospel, but I want to hear that your life is synced to him and that you are living in a way worthy of the gospel. What he means by worthy is to, to be in balance with, to be in harmony with. I, I love it when when the ladies sing together in harmony. I have been in musical trios and quartets and things of that nature where we attempted to sing in harmony. And one or more of us were just a little off the this given path and just all it takes is just a little bit off and it's a whole lot bad, right? But when harmony is on, when harmony is clicking and those notes are being hit where they're supposed to be hit, it is awesome. It's like a stringed instrument of voices and you just, so that idea of living, living a life as a citizen in harmony with the gospel in connection with, in sync with, in balance with, consistent with the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 tells us exactly what the gospel is. Paul says, I, I, I told you the things of first importance that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried and he rose again on the third day according to the scripture. And he was seen by the, by the 12 and he was seen by over 500 at one time. And then he was lastly seen by me. I saw him on the Damascus road for a minute before I went blind and I wasn't even looking for him. And I was like one that shouldn't have even been allowed to see him. I, I'm an apostle just because of God's choosing. And that's the gospel. 
That's what it is, that Christ died according to our sins. He was buried. He rose. Folks saw him. You decide. That's the gospel. So our life needs to be in heart. If we're going to live as citizens, if we're going to be synced to the heart of God, then our life is to be lived when we have the choice in what we do and don't do. I'm not talking about working for your salvation. I'm not talking about working to please God. You're pleasing to God because you're wearing the righteousness of Jesus if by faith you've trusted him. I'm talking about what choice you have in a daily span of what am I going to do with the time I've got today. Paul says, I want to hear that you're living as citizens of heaven in harmony with the gospel. Well, that certainly means that we're to be living a life that promotes and communicates the gospel. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing those in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've taught you. And guess what? I'm with you always. Till I come back to the end of the age, I'm still with you. And we boil that down and we say as followers of Jesus, everything we do ought to be about two things. And what are they, class? Reaching and teaching. Certainly living a life, sink to the heart of God with, with a citizenship in mind, of communicating and promoting the gospel, reaching into certainly that should be it. But as I got to thinking about living a life in harmony with the gospel, certainly it's not just making sure we promote and communicate the gospel. And can we do more of that? Could we do a lot, lot more of promoting and communicating the gospel with our life? The answer to that is overwhelmingly, yes, we could. But I think there's more to it than just communicating and promoting. And I got to think, what are the elements of the gospel? If, if you were to take the gospel and you were to just to kind of break it out in its individual parts, if you were to take the chocolate cake and say, well, what is the chocolate cake made of? Some of us don't care what the chocolate cake's made of. We just want one often. But if we were to be curious and say, what are the ingredients of the gospel? Here are some of these. So be thinking about God is calling us to live as citizens in harmony with these. Love. Mercy, grace, that'd make a good song, wouldn't it? If Eugene hadn't already written one, but love, mercy, grace. What is mercy? Mercy's not giving you what you deserve. What is grace? Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And love is the motivating factor of why would you not give me what I deserve. Why would you give me what I don't deserve? Because of love. You can't explain it, but you can sure receive it. And if you've ever extended it, you know what it means to your heart. Living sink to the heart of God, living a life as a citizen of heaven in the manner of the gospel of love, mercy, grace, compassion. Living in our world with a heart of compassion. What about forgiveness? Reflecting forgiveness in the life that we live. Renewal. Not just forgiving what has been done, 
but believing that renewal is possible. So here's what we can do. We can say, I forgive you. Oh, everyone see you again. And we're satisfied with that. And, and really, we, we kind of probably do a lot more patting on the back of folks. Well, as long as you forgave her, as long as you forgave him, that's, that's, you know, that's all that matters. Well, no, it's not. You see, the gospel doesn't just love and extend and, and forget. It renews. And God didn't just do something that would ultimately result in renewal. God stepped into it in order to make renewal possible. And then he stayed active in the renewing process. How many of you as a follower of Jesus have ever been hard for God to work on? How many of you have ever been the piece of clay on the potter's wheel that God's trying to mold and you just don't want to be bent that way? And what does he keep having to do? Push you down and throw you away. No, he pushes you down. He starts the wheel up again and he'll push on you until he makes out of you what he's gonna make out of you. He's still working on me. Y'all know the song? To make me what I'm going to be, not what I ought to be. He's going to make us what he wants us to be. But even when we resist that, you know what he does? He stays in it. that's, that's That's the extent of, and I'm with you always. Probably a lot of times when you wish I'd go away, I'm still there pressing and molding because he knows what we're best fit for. So it's that forgiveness. Yes, I forgive you. And I'll let God use me in the renewal process of your life, even though you don't deserve that. I know, but we've already covered that in the mercy and the grace part. Well, I just don't like it. Well, then you need to work on the love part that makes those other. You see what I'm saying? See, it's not about just living as a witness, just telling folks about Jesus and communicating the gospel. I'm living a life worthy of the gospel. No, he wants us to reflect the elements of the gospel. He wants us to be the sugar and the eggs and flour and the chocolate. Praise the Lord, right? All working together. Love, mercy, grace, compassion, forgiveness, renewal. How is that possible? I'm glad you asked because two weeks ago, we talked about what it takes to make those things possible. When we said, when, when Paul said, let the attitude Jesus had be your attitude. Well, what does that look like? It looks like selflessness, humility, obedience, sacrifice, and patience. Well, what's the patience? Well, the patience is working with us. But with Jesus, there was the patience in knowing that victory had been won. But that total victory hasn't been experienced yet, has it? You know what Jesus is doing? Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father as in control as he's always been and ever will be. But patiently waiting for the Father to say, okay, this time. And all the while, they're patiently waiting. The Holy Spirit is actively at work accomplishing the job in us that God has always intended. And Jesus is waiting patiently for the fulfillment of what will happen if we're going to demonstrate, reflect with our life 
the elements of the gospel, it's going to require selflessness. We're not going to be able to put number one in the pole position. We're going to have to take a position toward the back somewhere because apparently I'm supposed to think others are more important than I am. Yes, because that's exactly what Jesus did for me. And I put them in front. I act selflessly. I engage humility. I don't have to be seen. I don't have to be heard. I want what's best for you. I have to exercise obedience because there are going to be times that God's going to want me to do what I don't want to do. Let's go to the garden where Jesus says, Father, if this cup can pass for me, that's what I will, but not my will, yours be done. And he obeyed because that was the will and the, and the mandate of the Father. Obedience, humility, selflessness, and sacrifice, sometimes we're just going to have to lay ourselves out as a sacrifice for others. But when we do that, you know what we're, we're doing? We're, we're synced with the heart of God because we know even if we are sacrificed as he was raised, so too will we be raised. And there's a fellow by the name of Paul Miller who has this illustration called the J-curve. In fact, I've presented that here before. And it's this idea that, that the notion of living the Christian life and just running across the cloud tops in ecstasy and glory of the presence of God is just not reflective of what the scripture says. What the scripture shows is that God will lead us down into the valley of the shadow of death where our strength and our ability is gone for the distinct purpose of giving us a reason to lean and rely upon him. And when he does, then he does these little resurrections in our life. Doesn't mean he fixes the problem we have. Doesn't mean he wipes away the heartache that we're experiencing. It means he comes down and he puts his hand in ours and he walks with us. And when we feel his hand, we don't have to have all of our problems fixed. We know he's there and we know this is not the totality of life. And we live these little resurrections together, even when we're in the middle of cancer, even when we're in the middle of family problems that we pray and pray and ask God to fix. And when he don't fix it and we're walking with him, we experience these little resurrections. But guess what? We're going to go through again. Another valley in this life of Christianity is just like a down and up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down until God says, all right, son, go get them. And then up and all that God has completed. I am confident that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it on the day of Jesus so that at that point when we do rise to full completion we recognize hey look I got a new body I probably am not going to have to go down in that valley no more and that's the truth of the gospel so yes let's live lives that communicate and promote the gospel but God wants us synced to his heart so that all of the elements he used in the construction of the gospel are seen in us. Make sense? Okay. Some of you nodded, and I said okay on the behalf of some of you, you nodded. It might not make sense. 
But if it doesn't make sense, it's because I've confused it and not God's word. All right, so if it kind of makes sense, then let's ask some questions. Are you synced to the heart of God with the gospel? Because if you're synced to the heart of God with the elements of the gospel, and I'm synced to the heart of God with the elements of the gospel to live that out, guess what we're going to discover? We're all living lives reflective of the elements of the gospel. Are you synced? So answer these questions in your heart. Does your life demonstrate the effects of the gospel? So what does that mean? Well, before you trusted Jesus, if in fact you have trusted Jesus, by the way, you have asked God specifically to save you. If you've never asked God specifically on the basis of your absolute belief in the death and resurrection of Jesus, you can know all of the stuff. If you've never asked him, then you've probably not received that free gift. But if you have received that free gift, the scripture says that you've been made a new creation. The old is gone, and a lot of the visual evidence of that old will begin to go away in your life. The new has come, and hopefully a lot of the evidence of the new will begin to be reflected. Are you living a life that demonstrates the effects of the gospel? By that, I mean, are you who you used to be? If you are... That's a good place to start because he has changed you and that should be reflective. If you're not, then maybe it is you've just never been taught. Maybe someone introduced you to Christ and you received it and then you are left by yourselves to feed yourself and even understand what that means. I'm so sorry. Can we be a part of helping you learn how to feed And learn how to grow. We want to do that. So if your life is not reflective of the effects of the gospel, you might not know Jesus. Or you might not be walking with him consistently. I want to encourage you. Trust him today. That gift is available. And I want to encourage you. Take a step. If your honest answer is, you know what? Kevin, I I think nobody knows any difference in me, and they've always known me. I I say I'm a Christian, but I don't know that there would be enough evidence to convict, convict me of such. Well, let's talk about a walk together toward allowing God to produce in your life those things that he intends to do. Question number two, does your life promote the message of the gospel? If your life does not consistently introduce people to Jesus, not by just your actions, and by all means, your actions will speak louder than your words, but by your words. When you interact with people, do they come to know about Jesus? If they don't, then there's an opportunity for you today to go, God, I sure want my life to look like someone who knows Christ. And man, I've just been so scared to share my faith. Give me the courage. Show me the opportunities. They're there. 
Give me the willingness to tell people about Jesus because that's the job you've given me. Question number three. This is where we'll spend the majority of our reflection, and that is, does your life consistently reflect the elements of the gospel? When the world shines its light on you, does love reflect off in their eyes? When the world puts you under the microscope, do they discover mercy and grace? When life puts you in the pressure cooker and things aren't going the way you like, folks are acting the way they shouldn't, do people recognize compassion and forgiveness? Or do they see grudges? When folks look at you, do they see a person who's interested in being about renewal? For those that have just flat blown it. When the world looks at you, do they see a person of selflessness, humility, obedience to the point of sacrifice and then patience waiting on God to do what only God can do. Are you living a life when it's your choice to make, when when you literally have the choice to decide what I'm going to do and say and go and be, does your life reflect the elements of the gospel? Let me give you some arenas where that is seen. If you're married with your spouse, would your spouse say that your life reflects the gospel to them? Love, mercy, grace, compassion, forgiveness, renewal, selflessness, humility, obedience, sacrifice, and patience. Can can I tell you what my wife would have to say? I think she'd have to say, yeah, not a lot. I got work to do, church. What about towards your children? Do they see the elements of the gospel? When it's your choice, when it's up to you, do they see the gospel lived out? What about toward your parents? Do your parents see the elements of the gospel lived out? What about your siblings? Man, it's easy to get upset with them, isn't it? Boy, my siblings get mad at my brother, my sister. I just stay mad with them for how long? Well, how long we got? Sound about right. Am I dead yet? No. Well, I still don't like them. That's e- and we laugh because it's true. You know what God said? God said, oh, yeah, that's what it looks like for a citizen of the world. Yeah, that's how y'all act because of sin. That's not how I act. And when it's your choice, I'd I'd like to see you yielding to the Spirit. Y'all remember, it's the Spirit that works in us. He says it even in this book where he says it's God who's working in you to will and to do. So God is prompting you to live with these elements and reflect them. You just got to decide when it's your choice if you're going to do what he says or what you say, which 
I will refer you back to the book of Galatians that we just spent a lot of time with. We really don't have a choice, but we do. Your siblings, what about your authorities? Do your authorities lead people who, when they turn the light on you, see, wow, love, mercy, grace, forgiveness, obedience, sacrifice, humility? What about your neighbors? What about your coworkers? What about your classmates, your teammates? Do you treat them first with love or selfishness? Do you treat them with patience or do you just write them off? Do you forgive them even though they didn't ask you to? Or do you just get mad at them and then take it a step farther and get even? Yikes. What about towards our Christian brothers and sisters? How willing are we to live out the elements of the gospel that God did for us with those that are part of our own family of believers? The last one is about those that are in need of hearing and responding to the gospel. But see, we can't wait till we get out there and then communicate about Jesus who loves them and died to save them and he has showed you grace and mercy and love and forgiveness and there's renewal and there's sacrifice and there's selflessness and humility and patience, obedience. And folks go, you don't look a lot like that. So is it possible that our message won't even be effective if our life is not reflective of the elements of the gospel. So see, my my job is done. I just tell you what God's word said. Paul's going, hey, whether I show up or whether I never see you again, I wanna hear that y'all are living lives with the right citizenship, with, with your citizenship in heaven, sink to the heart of God, living lives in harmony, in in vital, consistent connection with the elements of the gospel. I want to hear that that's happening because when all of y'all are doing that, then you're all going in the same direction. And guess what's impossible through God, uh, from God through you? Not a thing. Whatever he wants to accomplish, he will for his glory. Don't you want to be a part of that? I want to be a part of that. But as much as it depends on me, I got to decide. And so do you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that you are, well, you are sovereign and you are loving. And you know how much we struggle with just being what we want to be. I just ask that you would just melt our heart today just so that we can hear from you. We can see who you are for us and who you've called us to be as representatives of you. Give us the courage we need. With heads bowed, with eyes closed, nobody's looking around. Every Sunday morning, we've got at least two folks up front who are ready to pray for you, pray with you, you're struggling, you're, you're just wrestling. He's like, I wish, wish somebody could pray with me. We've always got somebody up 
who's ready to do that, and we do today. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior and you say, man, I'd just really love to know how to do that, what that means. Maybe you're going through something that you just say, you know what, Kevin, I just, I'm just having a hard time loving. Forgiveness just don't come easy. Renewal, I just don't believe God can do anything through to them. Sacrifice, you know what, I just, I don't know. I just don't have it. I'd like for somebody to pray with because I want, I want to respond. I want to be there. Just not. Is that you? You want somebody to pray with you? We're going to stand together. And when we do, if that's you, while I continue to pray, you just move forward. Steve and Glenn are up here. They'll be watching for you. Let's stand. Heads bowed and eyes closed. God, we just ask that uh, you would you would create in us a passion to live our lives as citizens of heaven. You got to create it. Be at work in us to want it. Be at work in us to do it for your glory to head down into that valley knowing that there's a resurrection on the other side knowing that we're going to head down into another valley knowing that there's a resurrection and a valley and a resurrection and a valley until Jesus comes back and he's going to come back and we experience the renewal that is complete never change God I pray you'll work in us that we'll not only communicate the message of the gospel but that our lives will be reflective of the elements every day because we want to when it's our choice to make because of who you are what you've done for us what you've given us and the promise that is made if we'll just respond Give us the grace we need to do just that. We love you. We thank you. We look forward to the opportunities that you've already made available to us in the coming week. And many of those will begin when we say amen. So it is in the name of Jesus, your son, our Savior, that all of the ways the church said.